Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you have set aside for us to encounter you, for us to rest in your presence, and for us to meet with you. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word uh, heard and received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Father, I pray that you breathe new life into us as we listen to your voice come forth, that we may be ready and prepared to be used by you for the good and the glory of your kingdom. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says... Amen and amen. Uh, this week we're in Parsha Zab. This is the second Parsha of the uh, of uh, Sefer Vayichra, the book of Leviticus, um, which comes from uh, beginning with Leviticus 6, 1, verse 8, and a traditional English translation, <clears throat> and rolls through uh, the end of chapter 8. Um, it is a very um, Leviticus-like book, uh, or Leviticus-like section uh, of the book. Uh, so uh, with that said, if you've read through the Parsha, you'll know what I mean. Um, it has a lot of details, very minute and, uh, and, and specific details, very fine um, orchestration of how things are to be done uh, with the tabernacle, with the priesthood, and so on. And uh, I want to remind you, as I said last week, that Leviticus is a very important book for us as believers to grasp a hold of, um, because the whole purpose of the book of Leviticus... Let, let, by the way, let's pause for a second. So we ended Exodus with the, the establishment of the tabernacle was set up, it was put in place, the presence of God, the Shekhinah, the divine glory, fell upon the Holy of Holies, and Moses and Aaron couldn't go into the tabernacle for a bit. Um, then we have this weird pause in the Torah as we go from where Israel's journey is at that point in Exodus to we go through this whole discussion Leviticus, um, and then we pick up with the journey again, not in Leviticus, and definitely not at the beginning of Numbers, but Numbers chapter 7 is where the actual journey of Israel picks up again. So in the meantime, from Leviticus 1 through the end of Leviticus and the first few chapters of Numbers, we're not dealing with the journey of Israel per se, as much as we are the expectation of what it means to be a, a, uh, a holy one of Israel, to be a part of the holy people of Israel. And so the book of Leviticus, I think we do a disjustice, uh, and I'm stealing this line from somebody else, but I think we do a disjustice uh, calling it Leviticus in English because it's not all about the Levitical priesthood. But instead, it's about the nation as a whole. And what deals with the priesthood deals with how the nation can be made holy through the actions of the priesthood. And it gives guidelines and parameters for how we, as the people of God, are to live a holy life. How we are to be Kedoshim, how we are to be holy ones. And so when we're looking at Leviticus and this weird gap in the time frame of Israel's journey, and we have this entire book that seems to be mundane and, and, uh, and repetitive and so on, it's important to understand that the book of Leviticus, or Vayichra as it is in Hebrew, is for the single and distinct purpose of showing us the guidelines and parameters of holiness and 
how the priesthood will be able to, through their service and ministry, provide a redemption and restoration of holiness, which is a foreshadowing of the redemption and restoration, which is the only true redemption and restoration through that of the uh, priesthood work of Messiah Yeshua. Amen? So in this week's Parsha, beginning with uh, chapter 6, verse 1, uh, verse 8 in an English tra traditional English translation, it says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the Torah of the burnt offering. The burnt offering should remain on the hearth atop the altar all night until the morning, while the fire of the altar is kept burning on it. The Kohen is to put on his linen garment with his uh, linen undergarments on his body. He is to remove the fat ashes from where the fire has consumed the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he is to take off his garments, put on his other ones, uh, or put on other ones and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Verse five, the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out. Each morning the Kohen is to burn wood on it, laying the burnt offering in order upon it and burning up as smoke the fat of the fellowship offering. Fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. And it's really interesting looking at this because arbitrarily we have this discussion of the fire on the altar that must not go out. And uh, it's important that we ask ourselves, why is it so important for this fire to not go out? Why is it so important for the priest to continue to add fuel to the fire on the altar so that no matter what it is constantly burning? You need to understand what it says it is to continually burn. That includes when the Levites are carrying the altar in their journey through the wilderness while it's covered in the clothing, the garment that is draped over top of it, the fires to continually be burning. It is never to be let to go out upon the altar. All right. So when we look at this and we understand that, that the Lord's very serious when he says continually burning, that it is every day the priest is to add fuel, to add wood to the fire so that it's constantly burning and it never goes out, then we've got to understand why it's so important for that fire to never go out. Why is it that the Lord is bringing this up and reiterating this and making this such a fervent point for the priesthood? In order to understand, we've actually got to go forward to next week's Parsha, to Leviticus chapter 9, beginning with verse 22. It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then he stepped down for presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offerings. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came back out and blessed the people, the glory of Adonai appeared to all the people. Verse 24, fire came out from the presence of Adonai and devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The Hebrew here is Esh milpaneh Adonai, fire from the face of Adonai. So we translate it fire from the presence of Adonai, but it's literally fire from the face of Adonai came forth and consumed the offering on the altar. And so when we look at this week's Parsha, Parsha Zav, and it begins with this discussion of the necessity to keep the fire going on the altar at all times, it's because Messiah's sacrifice being man-making sacrifice for man was the finite sacrifice of God for our atonement. But he gives us a foreshadowing of it 
and the priesthood uh, service and the tabernacle and the temple as the offerings that were put upon the altar that were burned up weren't consumed by just any fire. It wasn't just ordinary fire, but it was a fire that came forth from the presence, from the face of God and consumed the altar and uh, the offering and ignited the altar for the first time. And the priesthood were to continually add fuel to the fire day in and day out so that this fire that came forth from the Lord never goes out. So when we look at Leviticus 6 and we see the very beginning of Parshat Zav and we're going, well, why is it so important for that fire? It's because this fire wasn't one that Aaron happened to, to stoke a fire as he, as he kindled it and got it going and got it started and then walked away from it. This was a fire that came directly from heaven. This was a fire that came from God. This was God's consumption of the offering made for the people of Israel. This was God taking part in the sacrifice that was being made as a foreshadowing, as a prototype, as a type and shadow of the work that Messiah would do as that final atonement sacrifice being made by God for man. An atonement that actually works, that actually covers sin. So I went to look up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary because uh, it is uh, obviously the most preeminent one that we think of, um, whether it's the preeminent dictionary or not, it's a whole other story. But I went to look up fire because we all know what fire is, but it's interesting to, to, to dig a little deeper. So I went to look up the word fire in English in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And the first definition is the phenomenon of combustion manifested in light, flame, and heat. It's one of the four elements of the alchemist air, water, fire, and earth. Uh, and then the second definition, uh, definition part B, is uh, a fire is not in the natural sense, but instead in the emotional sense or the, 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 the human sense. And it's the, the second definition is that fire is a burning passion. It says, are uh, young lovers with their hearts full of fire? It's a, a liveliness of imagination, inspiration, the force and fire of his oratory uh, was an example. So the first definition is in the natural sense. It's this, this uh, uh, phenomenon of combustion manifested by light, flame, and heat. And then the second is a burning passion, right? And when we think about this faith that we live in, this walk with Messiah, this reality of being a people of God, a kedoshim, a holy people, it's important that we understand that, yes, there is the literal physical sense of the fire upon the altar, which came down from heaven and was continually stoked by the priesthood and fuel was added to it, so it was constantly burning. But there's also this necessity for there to be a burning passion, a fire on the inside. And like we always say with Matthew 5, Yeshua says, uh, talks about hatred and murder, lust and adultery. And he says for every external sin, there's an internal sin that predicates. And if we let him handle the inside, the outside won't sin. The same is true here. There's a physical fire that was necessary on the altar. But the reason it was necessary was because the internal fire, the burning passion that we have for our God would go out. We wouldn't stoke it. We wouldn't keep that fire burning so we would end up falling to temptation and sinning and needing an atonement and needing a new sacrifice and needing something to be done by somebody else to bring us back in restoration and relationship with the Lord because we let that passion, that fire go out. We go back to Exodus 19. Exodus 19 verse 3 says, Moses went up to God and Adonai called to him from the mountain saying, say this to the house of Jacob and tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice, to my bat kol, and keep my covenant. Then you will be my own treasure from among all the people, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of kohanim, 
a holy nation. These are the words which you were to speak to B'nai Israel. So we go back to Exodus 19, the beginning of the Sinai experience, and the Lord very clearly tells us what his desire for the people of God, for B'nai Israel, for the children of Israel, was in the first place, which was that we would be the king's kohanim, that we would be the king's priesthood. The reason we needed the Aaronic priesthood, the Aaronic order, was because God knew that we were human just as Adam and Eve were human. God knew that we were born post-temptation, that Adam and Eve fell to. We were born post-sin entering into the world. And because of that, we weren't going to be so productive as that priesthood as a whole. And so God had to give us the Aaronic order as an example of what that priesthood looks like. But then we go to, to uh, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter begins to reiterate the words that uh, Adonai spoke through Moses to the nation of Israel and says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. Peter reiterates these words of Moses in saying, before we couldn't actually be that priesthood as a whole because of our sin. And we needed somebody to serve as an example in that role of what we needed to be and how we were to relate to God and how we were to be holy. But now, because of the blood atonement of Messiah, which brought about a final and true atonement and redemption and restoration and relationship, we can now be restored to that place of being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the king's kohanim as God had originally intended for his people to be, as God had originally intended for us to be. And when we look at this, it's important for us to understand that the role of stoking that fire, of adding fuel to that fire on a daily basis that was put upon the priesthood in the physical is absolutely a necessity in our lives in the spiritual as well. Because we are also part of the priesthood. We may not be part of the ironic order, but we are a part of the order of our Melech Mashiach, of our King Messiah. And as such, there is a necessity for us to constantly be stoking that fire, to be adding new fuel to the fire. You know, I, I found it interesting as I was digging into, uh, into this to, to look at the idea of fire and how fire burns and what's necessary for fire. And uh, most of you are probably familiar with this and, and the reality of this. And, uh, and I'll actually read to you um, uh, where I got this from. This is actually from our good friend Smokey the Bear. Um, because who better to learn for about fire from the Smokey the Bear? Uh, so there's three things that are absolutely necessary for fire to exist, right? First is heat. And I don't mean just the heat from the fire, but that heat that, that is a part of this process is a heat that allows for all the other fuel that may be around. So if you're talking about a forest fire, Smokey the Bear, our good friend is talking about here, um, that, that heat allows for all of the potential future fuel as the fire spreads to dry out and become prime opportunity for this fire to spread. The second is fuel. And this can be any kind of a combustible material. This can be wood. It can be uh, 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 fossil fuel. It can be oil. It can be whatever. It doesn't matter. Something that allows for this ignition to continue and for it to become greater. And then the third and final is oxygen. It requires oxygen. And this was something I didn't realize. I mean, I knew it required oxygen. I've seen Backdraft. Um, but I knew it required oxygen. But what's interesting is that uh, uh, the air that we breathe contains 21% oxygen. So 21% of the air that we breathe is oxygen. Fire only needs 16% oxygen in order to burn. All right, so it really doesn't take a lot of oxygen, but it does take oxygen in order for it to, to, to burn, in order for this fire to continue. And without any of those three pillars of the, the reality of fire, without any of those three pieces that are necessary to exist, fire cannot exist. 
As a matter of fact, when we talk about things um, in physics, when we talk about things like um, uh, hot and cold, right? There's no such thing as cold. Cold doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. You can't measure cold, right? You, you understand that, right? You, just like you can't measure darkness. Darkness doesn't exist. There's light and there's heat. You can measure those. They, they are measurable realities. But uh, cold and darkness, we can't measure. They don't actually exist. All that cold is, is an absence of heat. And all that darkness is, it is an absence of light. And so when we look at these definitions, it talks about the necessity for oxygen, right? Well, this fire that was upon the altar required oxygen, just like any other fire. But it's interesting when you look at this, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual too, where does that breath that we breathe come from? It's the breath of God. So in order for this fire that is now upon the altar of our heart to continue to burn, for us to be a priesthood to constantly stoke that fire, we must be constantly receiving that breath of God. And I don't mean just the physical air that we breathe. I'm talking the Ruach HaKodesh. The Holy Spirit must be a part of our life. And we have equally, as the priesthood, as the Aaronic order had, a responsibility to continue to see this fire grow and develop on a daily basis. We go to Acts 2. Acts 2 verse 1. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh on Shavuot. It says, when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak. The fire of God is the Holy Spirit within us. And for us as believers, there is a necessity for us to constantly stoke that fire. Romans uh, 12, we talked about this last week, calls us to be a living sacrifice. The Bible talks about in several places the fire of God is an all-consuming fire, and we see that in uh, Leviticus 9 as the fire from the face of God comes down and consumes the offering, ignites the initial fire upon the altar, just as in Acts 2, the fire from God came down and ignited the passion, not the physical sense of combustion, but the spiritual sense of that passion of fire that ignited within the body of Messiah. And then just like fire on the altar and fire in the forest and fire in our fire pits and fire wherever, uh, just like it requires three things to exist, fire requires heat, it requires uh, fuel, and it requires oxygen in order to exist. And without any of those three being a part of its process, it dies out, right? We talk about... Um, a fire uh, and uh, like a stove fire, uh, grease fire, right? The grease is the fuel, the oxygen is there, uh, and then it's constantly heating because it's on the stove. And how do you put it out? You snuff it out by removing the oxygen from, by throwing baking soda on it. And we take the oxygen out of the discussion, out of the, the equation, and it's gone. The fire goes out. In the same sense, there are countless things that the enemy throws in our way that he's trying to use like baking soda, like a fire extinguisher, like a, a, a blanket thrown over a fire, whatever it may be, to snuff out the fire of God in our lives, but in the same sense that there are those absolute required necessities for fire to exist. In order for fire to exist, the fire, the spiritual fire of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit to exist on a daily basis and continually burning on the altar of our heart, there are required elements that are necessary as well. First 
And these are things that we actually would call disciplines. When we talk about discipleship as believers, these are things that we need to learn how to live in. These are things we need to learn how to interact with. These are things that need to be a daily part of our lives in order for us to truly see that fire of God stoked. These are the things that add to the breath of God, the oxygen that keeps that fire going. These are the fuels that allows for it to continue to burn. First is prayer. The first necessary element for the power of the fire of God to continue to burn on the altar of our heart is prayer. We have to be in daily communion with the Lord. Unfortunately, far too often as believers, we live busy lives. Especially in the 21st century, we find ourselves getting busier and busier every single day. Uh, And if you don't find yourself in that situation, come talk to me. I'd be happy to loan some busyness to you. Um, But we find ourselves getting busier and busier every single day, no matter what we do. And, and, And the more that we add to our plate, unfortunately, as humans, it tends to be that the temptation is to take away time in our spiritual life, to make time for the physical things that we feel are necessary to get done. And so a lot of times we begin to sacrifice our prayer time that time in communion with the Lord. The second absolute necessity, uh, uh, necessary element in this fire for the fire to continue to burn in our lives is the word of God. We have to be in the Bible. As a matter of fact, one of the keys to prayer is being able to hear the voice of the Lord, but if we aren't in the word of God, we don't know what we're listening for because we hear his voice primarily and foremost from his word. And so if we want to hear the still small voice in prayer, we must first understand and recognize his voice from his word. It's often said that there's nothing we need to know that hasn't already been said in this book. We must be in the word daily. The third element necessary for the fire of the presence of God to continually burn on the altar of our heart is fasting. Now, I'm not saying you got to fast every single day. I'm not saying you got to fast 40 days like Yeshua did. I'm not saying you got to fast three days at a time. I'm not even saying you got to fast a whole day. And I'm not even saying, because this is American, I know we don't like giving up food, that we have to fast food. Fasting isn't just giving up food, although that is a big thing for us to do. Fasting is giving up something that is a sacrifice in our life. If you are obsessed with social media, give up social media for a while. But don't just give it up and fill that time with something else. You, whatever it is you're setting aside when you're fasting, you're replacing that time's activity with being in the presence of God, in his word, in prayer, sitting back and shutting up and listening. But we don't just set stuff aside and go on about our life and find something new to put in its place. We dig into the presence of the Lord. The fourth element necessary in our daily life for the power of the fire of the presence of the Lord to continue to burn on the altar of our heart is worship. We have to be in worship before the Lord. And I don't mean just on Saturdays in synagogue or on Sundays if you go to a church regularly. I don't mean just on your drive to work, you turn around worship music. I mean, we have to set time aside to actually worship our creator. To put him as the foremost as the forefront reality in our time at that moment, whatever, whenever it is that we're doing it. If you're setting aside a half hour a day, that half hour a day that you're spending in worship before the Lord, better be you giving all glory, honor, and adoration to the Lord and focusing on the recognition of who he is at all times. And the final element that is necessary as a discipline uh, in order to see this fire continue to burn in our lives is service. 
And I don't mean service like gathering on Saturdays like this, although that is an obligation biblically. The Baruch says, do not forsake the assembly. This is a necessity, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about out of all that God has done for us, we set ourselves aside and focus on serving others. If that is being involved in the ministry of your congregation, do it. Be involved and serve. If that's going to food pantries, if that's bringing food to uh, uh, people that you uh, come across that are, uh, are without homes, without jobs, that need uh, that sustenance that you know are, are, are absolutely uh, in need of that, take care of it. Do it. If that means going and helping people move or filling up somebody's gas tank or whatever it may be, take the time to serve somebody else. In American culture, we tend to be more concerned with serving ourselves than we are with others. But the Word of God makes it clear that it's about service to others. Not so that we can feel special. Because a lot of people go to do good things for other people because they want to feel good. It's nothing to do with that. It's so that we can share the glory of God that is in our lives with the lives of others. So that they can see His power and His presence. And the reality is, is I honestly believe that these things have to be done in a similar order to the way I describe them. All right, worship may probably should be a little closer to prayer, but it's got to be in similar order. This service is useless if it's not fed by the reality of being in prayer and hearing the voice of the Lord, being in his word, fasting, and worshiping the God of all creation. Other than that, we're just going and doing good things for people to feel good. But in order to truly serve the rest of God's creation, we have to experience these other elements of this fire in our lives, and that is what will stoke it, not only in our lives, but in others. And so when we read in this passage from uh, Leviticus 6, and uh, beginning with verse 5, it says, The fire in the altar is to be kept burning on it. It must not go out each morning. The Kohen is to burn wood on it, laying the burnt offering in order upon it, and burning up as smoke the fat of the fellowship offering. Fire is to be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. In order for us to not only see the reality of the physical fire of the presence of the Lord flowing from us, but uh, to see the fire on the altar of our hearts continue to burn, we've got to stoke that passion fire. We've got to stoke that burning passion for our first love, for the love of Messiah, through these uh, elements of discipline, through these elements that are much like fire uh, physically requires heat, uh, uh, fuel, and oxygen to burn. The fire of the presence of God, the fire of the passion of God in our hearts requires the elements of discipline, of spiritual discipline in order to burn fervently and daily. Otherwise, we're not only wasting our time, but we're wasting God's. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Through this we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And he wants that his fire consumes our heart and our lives daily, not just when it's convenient. You gotta understand, it's not convenient to keep a fire going on the altar while you're carrying it with a cloth covered over it. It's not convenient to be walking through the desert carrying an altar while the smoldering heat of this fire is billowing upon you. It's not convenient to breathe that smoke in to your lungs as you're trying to wander about in the wilderness. And in the same sense, walking a life in faithfulness to the fire of God, the passion, the burning passion of his ruach in our our hearts is not about convenience to us. If anything, we've got to set convenience aside 
so that we can make sure that these elements of discipline are a part of our lives daily. And just as the priest was to start his day out by seeing fuel added to the fire, we must start our day out focused on the Lord. So in reiteration, those elements necessary for the fire of God to burn within our hearts, on the altar of our hearts, is through prayer, his word, fasting, worship, and service. And without these being a, daily, a reality of our daily lives, we're selling ourselves short on the beauty of what God wants to do through us for the world around us. Just as the ironic order, the ironic priesthood's purpose was to be an example of holiness for the holy people God had called forth for himself. As followers of Messiah, our role is to be a holy people living holy lives as an example for those that God has called forth from the nations to be holy for him. And in order to be holy, H-O-L-Y, we must be holy, W-H-O-L-E-Y, in his presence at all times. He must be the preeminent focus of our lives day in and day out. And if he's not, it's time for us to recalibrate our faith in alignment with the example of Messiah that we're to live in because he is that example. And if we look at his life and his ministry and everything that we see through him in the Besor and the good news and the gospel, what we see is that what we just talked about as those elements of discipline to see that fire burn was absolutely a part of his life day in and day out. It was a part of the Tamudim, the disciples' lives day in and day out. And it should be a part of our lives as disciples of Messiah as well. And we should never let that burning passion go out because as long as we keep that fire on the altar of our hearts burning, that burning passion continues to go, then in the physical sense, the world around us will be ignited by the fire of God as well because he, they, the world around us will see him and his presence in our lives and they'll want what we have. It's time that we as believers in Messiah return to not just a vocal profession of faith, but a life that is wholly devoted to professing our faith in everything that we do because his all-consuming fire should be literally consuming every aspect of our lives. Amen? Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, for your uh, power, your might, and your presence in our lives. We thank you for your love and your passion. We thank you, Lord, that you laid down the life of your only begotten Son, that we could not only be restored in relationship with you, but, Lord, that we could be reunited as one, as a chad with you. Father, that we can be that living example of what it looks like to walk in the power and the presence of your fire day in and day out in our lives. Father, I pray that you encourage each and every one of us hearing these words today to yearn for a deeper relationship with you, to yearn for a passion that uh, recognizes the necessity to set aside the convenience of our own lives to be a sacrifice of worship before you every waking moment of our lives. Father, I thank you for this reminder throughout your word to give of ourselves to you daily. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen.